this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to the Gospel of Luke. Um, you will want to open uh, your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke and to chapter 9. I will be reading two portions of text from that uh, passage in just a few minutes. Uh, but just as a way of introduction, um, for those of you who are visiting or have not been here for the summer, etc., Uh, We thought it was a good idea a few weeks ago at the end of August to go through a two-part series on the Bible, and the reason why we did that is we wanted to make, uh, we wanted to really let everybody know who's considering the Rock Church as their home as a church, that we are a Bible-teaching and Bible-believing church, and that the Word of God is central to everything we do. Every, Every Sunday morning when we come here, we open the Bible. And uh, hopefully it's preached, the text is preached uh, effectively and uh, properly. And the idea is is that we go through this together and we grow as a family. So if you haven't seen that, we have a YouTube channel. You can go online. There's a two-part series on the Bible. The first part was on the story of God. Second was on the Word of God. And uh, from all accounts, it's uh, very valuable lessons. Following that, we decided to do a three-part series leading up to our... our, um, celebration at the end of the month, and before we go back into the Gospel of Luke in October, a three-part series called The Way of Jesus. And we started last Sunday, and you can see that last Sunday was about come and see, and this week is about follow me, and next week will be about go and make, right? And the reason why we decided to do that is, again, it's about who we are as a church. And we as a church are about making disciples. Uh, That is the call of Jesus on all of our lives, on the ministry of the church, to make him known by making disciples who make disciples. So it's beyond just making converts and going, good, you're saved, talk to you later. No, we we live with people, life on life, in community, in ministry, in the church, discipling them so that they grow in their walk and faith with Jesus. So that above all things is what our church and any church for that matter is called to be about, making disciples who make disciples. And so that's why we wanted to do that series, this series, just to refresh us again, remind us as a church, uh, inform you who are visiting with us and coming along with us in this journey of that goal. So we review this. So over this, these three weeks, our goal has been this, and I'll state it one more time, is that, this, that we discovered the way of Jesus, how he, first of all, invited people into his life. And we saw that last week. Secondly, how he called them to commit to his way of life. And then finally, how he sent them on their way in the power of the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at last week. So, so we, I said this last week, we decided to use the title, The Way of Jesus, um, for a number of reasons. One reason was because the Christians in the early church were actually known as the people of the way. I don't know if you knew that early on before they were called Christians. And when they were actually called Christians, it was kind of in a derogatory way, those Christians, right? They were the people of the way. But the other reason why we decided to do that, or I decided to do that, is because the truth is Jesus had a particular way about him, a specific way about him that two groups of people really, really noticed. I mean, the deal was is he was not what anyone expected to be like as the Messiah and certainly to act like the way he did. The religious leaders, by the way, for the most part, if you read the Gospels, they considered his way rather disturbing, didn't they? They they were not that enamored with his way. And the reason for that, of course, was 
It wasn't only because he publicly was critical of their way of religion, was it? It was because of the people he hung out with, right? He was hanging, hanging out with these sinners, these unclean people, these, the great unwashed women, prostitutes, tax collectors. And he was eating and drinking with them all the time to the point where the religious people called him a glutton and a drunkard, of which he was neither, right? But that's what they called him. And so he had this particular way about him. And on the other hand, these people that he was hanging out with all the time, that he'd invited to just come and see who he was and what he was all about, they loved him. <laughs> they thought his way was incredible because he seemed to really care about them. He wanted not only them to be in his life, but he wanted to be in their life. That was remarkable. That was incredibly remarkable. He was truly kind. He was loving. And, and, and just like even some of the Jewish people who they know, who they were friends, they noticed this thing about him that they noticed. He spoke with an authority that not even the scribes and the Pharisees could speak with. So his way was remarkably different. And those of us who can look back on it today, I would hope could say his way was beautiful. And so we wanted to look at this. We want to look at this because... We're the church, right? And what happens in the church? We, we sometimes think we've got a better idea of how we should introduce Jesus to people. We want to go back to the Word of God and find out how He did it because that's the way we should be doing it, amen? That's the way He is. So last Sunday's message, I think, would have been, I hope, <laughs> my hope is always this, but I think it would have been most encouraging for the skeptic or the unbeliever in that the way of Jesus begins with just a simple invitation to come and see. Not a bunch of arguments about various things and, you know, this and that and, you know, creation, evolution, you know what it is, apologetics, and, you know, you've got to get these things right before you're going to come to our church. No, it was just, I mean, remember... The Philip and, and Nathaniel relationship, it's like, well, what good can come out of Nazareth? Philip's response is kind of like, I don't know, the question didn't come up. Come and see, right? It, it was just come and see. That's the invitation that Jesus offers. It was also, I hope, helpful for you and I, the church, to hear that. Because in our day and age, in our culture today, I don't know about you, but I am, and I think many of you might be. We're a little afraid of our culture today, aren't we? Aren't we, aren't we a little afraid to introduce Jesus and the way to our culture? And I would hope you have seen from last week, don't be. It's just really simple. Come and see. Come and see my life. Come to my home. Come to Missional Community Group. Come to our gathering. I'll just see. You know, I was thinking about it this week, and I'm wondering, how many of you have friends that you've not been asking that question to or offering that invitation to, who once you were to do that would be going something like this. I was wondering when you would ever ask. So today and next Sunday should also be helpful, I would hope, for those checking out the church, the Bible and Jesus, because, listen, I think everybody at some point wants to know, what exactly am I signing up for? Okay, the come and see part was awesome, but what am I signing up for? And that's exactly what Jesus gets to when he gets to follow me. That's what he gets to. There's no bait and switch with Jesus. He, he, it's come and see, come and see, 
It's an open invitation to everyone. But Jesus is going to call you to follow me. So this week and next week, I believe, are important for the Christian, committed and not so much as well, because listen, we need to hear again and understand what Jesus has called us to and for. Any soft amens to that? <laughs> Thank you. Your outline for today is this, the way of Jesus. Follow me. Hope to show you or hope to look at three things. Number one, who's first? It's a question, by the way. Secondly is, follow me, capital M-E. And thirdly, follow me. See what I did there? I'm going to read the text for you this morning. We're going to begin in verse 9, and I'm going to read the whole text. We're going to go from 9, 21 to 25, and then jump to verse 51 to 62. They're bookends. They're bookends. That's why I'm doing this, and I hope to show you those three things through this text. So let me read. And he, Jesus, strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man or a woman if he or she gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said to him, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, once again we thank you and praise you for who you are. We thank you for this word. We thank you. Holy Spirit, for inspiring Luke and all of those who were eyewitnesses to report to him what happened on these days. We are thankful that we get to read this. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use my simple understanding of this text and the things that you put on my heart. Holy Spirit, would you reveal the truth of these words to us? Would you do the work in our hearts that are necessary to believe, to trust? And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Number one, who's first? Who's first? 
So as I began to prepare and think about this message and the subject, the words of Jesus, those two words, follow me, right? I found myself stopping repeatedly and asking this question. Here's the question. I asked it of myself first, okay? So now I'm going to ask it of you. Why do we find it so hard to follow Jesus? Am I alone in this? Do we not follow, find it hard to follow Jesus? L- let's be honest. I-, I think we do struggle with that. When you-, when you read the Gospels, when you read the Gospels, it's remarkable, actually, how many times the word follow shows up. But in relation to the words follow me, those two together, 23 times in the Gospels. Even more when you see the words together, follow him. And so when you read the Gospels, you'll remember that as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, that there were constant crowds following Jesus, right? And it often said that the crowds followed him, they followed him, they followed him, they followed him. And often, of course, they kept following him. Why? Because there was free sushi. Okay, so there was fish and there were loaves, right? 5,000 people being fed. But they were following him, it seemed, the crowds anyway, because there was something that they were getting from him. And so we also see in that following a bit of a pattern happening, and that is some followed from the day that he called them to follow him. And they followed him all the way to the cross, and they continued to follow him after that. But some didn't follow for very long. Some doubted and fell away. And certainly the crowds who were there just for what he could do for them, they, of course, also fell away very fickle. They were only following him as long as something met their needs. So one thing then that we should learn from that time in history, real time in history, is this. They had trouble following Jesus too. And and he was there in the flesh, working miracles, raising people from the dead. And they still had problems. So, So, first of all, let's think about this. Is it not true that all of us are followers? (laughs) Oh, man. I've been preaching this to myself all week, so I think I'm going to continue. I believe we're, I think, I think it's true, we're all following someone or something. It's obvious in our current cultural moment more than ever before. Social media, listen, is built, you know this, if you're, under 35, you really know this. You actually know it better than older generations. But it's built on the whole idea of following and being followed. Not just by friends, but by those services who provide the following services, right? We're being followed, but we're also followers. We follow our idols. We follow our idols. And they can come from every sphere of human culture, and they do. We follow musicians. I'm still following the Beatles, even though two out of four are no longer with us. Um, Actors, athletes, sports teams, politicians, authors, religious leaders. We follow fashion. We follow all different kinds of subjects. I could go on. Interestingly, this is, I found this interesting uh, uh, review that I, watched, uh, I read. A scientific survey and a report was done that suggests that today more people are following something than just all of those things that I mentioned. They're following the crowd. 
I remember my mom and my dad when I was a little guy before social media going, Glenn, you need to stop following the crowd. Right? Like, what has changed? It's a thing. It's beyond the peer pressure that I grew up with. It's not the wisdom of the crowds either. We're following the crowds. So the reality is we are, to use a local phrase, hardwired to follow. We are. And actually, it's true. We were created in the image of God. We were created to follow Him. You all know what happened with that, right? Someone had a better idea that there would be someone better to follow. And that leads, of course, to the key that we will see today from our text. I hope to show you this from the text all the time. The ultimate truth about who or what we follow is the primary reason why every one of you, I, I think every Christian on the planet, has a hard time following Jesus. Two words, me first. Ultimately, we are all following ourselves. We're all following ourselves. Simple illustration. Ever sat across a coffee table from someone and you're, you're pouring out your heart to them about this decision you've got to make, a relationship issue, a career issue, you know, something that's, you just don't, where, where to live, whether to, to do this or to do that, go here, go there, and you're sitting across the coffee table from your girlfriend and at some point she just looks at you and you go, listen, it's okay, just follow your heart. You ever heard that? Okay, the Bible says that that's a really bad idea, by the way, but, but Here's the point that I want to make to you from that, and that is this. The reason why she said that to you is because that's what she's doing. Follow-up question. <laughs> Follow-up question. How's it working for her? So now as we begin to look at our text for today, let me suggest three reasons why we all find it very hard to follow Jesus. The first is what we're looking at here. Me first. Me first. Secondly, the truth is, we don't really know him. We don't know him personally the way that he wants us to or that we need to. And we certainly don't really know what he's doing like we should. Thirdly, we're unclear where Jesus is going. We're more clear about where we're going or where we hope we can go. Me first? Me first. So let's dig into our text. Let me show you this. Let's look at this who's first from our text. Verses 57 and 58. I'm going to go to the end of the text, and then we'll work our way through the text. It's going to be interesting today, a little different approach. Verse 57 says this. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So, honestly, at first glance, it would appear that this guy, I think, has the right idea, right? He's been following the, with the crowd. He's been following Jesus. He's heard Jesus probably a number of times say, follow me. And so he's like, okay, <laughs> I'm in. I'll follow you. And, and so I, I think the first approach should be that He's, he's, he's in. He says, I will follow you wherever you go. It, it looks pretty good. And as we learned when we went through this passage, we actually went through this passage, I believe, last November. 
um, we went through chapter 9, I think we learned that um, there's a good lesson here to see that Jesus is, is being very honest with this guy. There's no bait and switch with, with Jesus when it comes to actually following him. He re his reply is essentially saying this, okay, great, you want to sign up? You want to follow me? Well, let me be honest. Make sure you understand what you're signing up for. So he says, listen, birds and foxes have homes. Me, I'm homeless. Ready to sign? You ready to go where I'm going? Are you prepared for that? Still want to follow me? So I don't want to throw this guy into the bus, as I've heard some by suggesting that, well, Jesus really knew his heart, and Jesus knew that he probably had a 4,000-square-foot home somewhere in Squamish, you know, and it was beautiful, and he just finished renovating it. It was fully loaded, and he had three-car garage with all of his toys, and he's kind of thinking, whoa. But the text doesn't tell us that. That's an assumption. It's not a bad assumption, so let me ask that. It might be fair to ask you if that's true of you. Some of us might be saying, sure, listen, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I'm thankful for forgiveness, salvation, and eternity. I'm thankful for all those things. I'm thankful for all of the wonderful things that he can do for me. But listen, if following him means selling my house or at least much of my stuff, well... Or if following Jesus means I never get that house... I don't get the house of my dreams. Would you be okay with that? It's a fair question, isn't it? It's the next two men that, and their interaction with Jesus that actually make the point that I want to make for you this morning, but I thought we should review that as well. Verses 59 and 60 say this. So, so Jesus has this interaction with this one man, and then he says to another, follow me. Watch this man's response. But he said, Lord, let, do you see it? Me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So it's rather clear, it's rather direct what Jesus is doing with this fellow. The man has heard Jesus call him, follow me, and this man's response is, wait, me first. There's something that I need to deal with first. My priorities come before yours. Whoops. Jesus' response sounds a bit harsh, but actually it's full of mercy and grace towards this man. So think about it. Think about it. The dead can't bury the dead, can they? So Jesus is not talking about dead people. He's talking about spiritually dead people. And so he's actually commissioning this man. He's saying, great, not great. He's saying, okay then, if, if you need to be me first at this point in time, at least when you go home to the spiritually dead people, preach and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then hopefully you'll come back and bring some people with you who want to come and see. So he's extending grace and mercy to this man, but this man's priorities and who's first in his life seem to be the issue. Jesus has exposed that his 
priority is me first. It goes on. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's very direct. The third man volunteers. He volunteers that he is willing to follow Jesus. But he too has a me first problem, it would appear. Jesus' response is a really, really good lesson for any of us, anyone who suffers from the same problem and as a result follow, finds it hard to follow Jesus. Now, there's much to learn here from this passage, and, and we dug into this particular response more deeply last November, and I would encourage you to see that if you want to. But I, I just want to show you something related to this my first and his priority issue with this man. He's thinking me first and not Jesus first. Jesus' response to him is actually a well-known Greek proverb that Jesus supplies here. And Luke would have appreciated this, being a Greek Gentile who came to faith in Christ. The proverb goes like this. You can't plow a field or a furrow if you're looking backward. In other words, the lesson is it's not good to have a divided mind. And so Jesus is making it clear to this man that you must, you must, you must, every disciple who truly wants to follow me must put me, my mission, and my kingdom first. And that might mean leaving your family behind. So the first reason why we found it hard to follow Jesus then is this. It's right here before us. We're all about me first instead of Jesus first. Therefore, our priorities are wrong. So let me give you a few illustrations before you move on about this. And, and you might want to try this and practice this this week. I've been doing this for the last three or four days, and it's been painful. Okay. But, but at any time that you're experiencing some of these questions or issues in your life, ask yourself this question. Me first or Jesus first? You're finding yourself stressed out about money. Me first, Jesus first about work or your relationships with friends, with your spouse or with your children? Me first, Jesus first. You could also add others first. The great command of Jesus, right? You've got this constant and repeating bitterness towards someone who has wronged you or not treated you the way that you deserved. Me first, Jesus first. You don't need counseling. <laughs> you could do this and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You're finding church, the Bible, and your walk with Jesus to be less than satisfying. Me first, Jesus first. You get the idea? So I tell you this. I do more than I think I have in a long time. There's an old saying, if the sermon doesn't preach to the preacher, ain't going to preach. I hope this is preaching. As I've been thinking about it this past week, I just can't tell you the number of times. Why am I thinking these thoughts or these feelings and, and this way? Why am I worrying about things? Me first. Me first. 
May 1st. That's number one. Number two, follow me. Capital M-E. Back to verse 23. Read with me. And he said to all, very important word, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? How many of you, when you hear these verses read, think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the cost of discipleship? Come on, right? Like, it's not a cost, it's a gain. I love Dietrich, don't get me wrong. The second reason why we, found it, why we find it hard to follow Jesus is, as I said earlier, we, we, we just don't know him deeply, nor listen, what he actually came to do and what he's continuing to do. These verses are so wonderful and, however, I think often misunderstood. Uh, naturally, many have read the famous words, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, and, and have been led to believe by, by preaching and teaching that it has something to do with bearing our personal burdens in this life, my lot in life, my thorn in the flesh, uh, or, or, while continuing to follow Jesus. Me first. <laughs> That's not what it's about. The idea then is this. In this verse, Jesus is stating the obvious. We are all trying to save ourselves. Besides thinking me first, we're all trying to save ourselves. The natural human mind, and certainly the religious among us, uh, believes that there must be something we can do to receive God's acceptance and his approval or continually earn it or earn it back because of what we've done. Jesus, just tell me what the rules and the regs are and the steps I need to take and I'll, I'll do it functionally save myself. That's religion. That's the religion of the Pharisees and the scribes in that day. Jesus actually says this, no, you need to die to yourself, lose your old self, trust in my work on the cross in your place for both your salvation and your transformation. Jesus becomes both our priority and then, listen, his desire is to give you and I a brand new identity. This is the way of Jesus. On the one hand, listen, this is very important for us to hear today, church and those who are coming and seeing. He is completely inclusive, is he not? Come and see. All. All. Anyone. Jesus is incredibly inclusive. Just come and see. Everyone's welcome. No perfect people allowed. That's why all of the people in that day were fond of his way. They knew they were broken. They knew they were sinners. They knew they were messed up. They, they knew these things. That's why they knew they needed him. So even in our text today, he says, if anyone would come after me, these are very much words, words like the famous John 3.16, for God so loved the what? The few in the world? The whole world. Incredibly, incredibly inclusive. So yes, the way of Jesus is inclusive. 
However, what some of us are missing is this. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he actually becomes rather exclusive. His own words, John 14, 6. I am the, these are all definite articles, by the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by When you ask unbelieving people, skeptics in the world, one of the biggest problems they have with Christianity, what is the one word? Exclusivity. No bait and switch here. This is what Jesus requires. So this is the way of Jesus. This is what he requires. So friends, think about it this way. Please please hear me when I say this, because this is going to be important for our witness in this world today, but for some of you maybe gathered here today. If someone wants to come to Jesus to follow him, but if their expectation of him as they are coming and seeing him is for him to affirm and approve of them just the way that they are, please hear me, this would be the last thing that they should want. This should be the last thing that they should want. The good news of Jesus is this, is yes, this. He invites everyone to come exactly the way we are, broken, messed up sinners. But the really good news is that he loves us so much that he does not want to or was, is not willing to leave us that way. Amen? So let me be clear. Every one of you, every one of us, when we just come to see Jesus before the work of the Holy Spirit regenerates us and begins to transform us, we are all people who've got a broken, sinful identity, a fallen identity, before the transforming work of Jesus is completely done in us. This is exactly what we proclaim when we get baptized, isn't it? When we get baptized, the, the whole sacrament of baptism is an outward expression of what He has already done in our lives, what the Holy Spirit has already done in us. It's a picture of a new reality, a new identity. The old man or woman goes into the water and does what? Dies there. And what comes out of the water? A new creation in Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says, follow me, he's saying this. Now daily, identify yourself with me. The person who loves you died for you and the one who has given you a whole new identity. That is why in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul wrote this important statement. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So far, I hope we've learned we all need new priorities. Jesus over self, and that he is inviting us, he's inviting us to get serious about following him. The person who gave his life for us, who loves us, and through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit is transforming us daily into his likeness. But finally, to be able to follow Jesus, we've got to know where he's going. 
And, and, and actually, if, if we don't know where he's going and we're not on mission with him, which we will look at next week, transformation doesn't take place at the level and speed that it can. So we're going to see that in our text next week. Number three, your point today as we come to conclusion is this. Follow, all caps, me. Verse 51 says this. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So the text tells us very clearly where he was going. Back in verses 21 to 22, Jesus told them that one day soon the Son of Man might suffer many things, not might, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the scribes, and then they were going to kill him. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Then after what we read in this verse, 51, Jesus sends some guys onto the town of the Samaritans, a village of the Samaritans, so that Jesus could come to them and preach the kingdom of God to them. But we're told that they don't want Jesus to come because they'd heard that he'd set his face towards Jerusalem. James and John are a bit miffed by the attitude and ask Jesus if they should call down fire from on high and consume them. Jesus, we know how you want to handle this. He just shakes his head. They don't get it. They don't know where he's going and why, and he's just told them. Yet, they will. He's headed to the cross. So follow me tells us, capital M-E tells us there's a person. Jesus, whom we are to follow, and now follow, caps me, tells us there's a mission. There's a mission that he's on. He's headed somewhere. There's always a mission with Jesus, and that mission is not the establishment of the church. Yes, he's going to build his church. The mission of Jesus is the expansion of the kingdom of God, of which the church is a part. So here we learn about the mission up to the point of the cross. He set his face towards Jerusalem, to the cross. That's where he was going then. And next week in our final message in the series, Go and Make, we learn how to follow Jesus, how to be on mission with him today. Jesus says to all of us, listen, this is me and there is a mission. There is a person and there is a path. Follow me. So in conclusion, let me suggest this. Let's be sure we understand Jesus' call to follow. Let's make sure we understand that this morning. When he says, if anyone would come after me, he then says, you must follow me. It's not optional. It's, it, it's not like we can just keep coming and seeing all the time and, and we, can, we can say, yeah, I believe all these things about Jesus and we can just show up on Sunday and we can, we can be functionally or in name a Christian. If you want to come and see but not commit to following, then listen, there's no personal relationship and likely, listen, there's no new identity. There's no transformation taking place. And secondly, this person, Jesus, is on a journey, on a mission, and he invites us to join him so that we can continue the work in us. He can continue the work in us so that one day we are more and more and more and more like him. I was trying to think of a way to wrap this up for you with a simple little conclusion. It took some time. 
had to pray about it. But I guess the thought the Holy Spirit put on my mind was this. What would be the sign of someone who's become a true follower of Jesus? Who's being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into this new creation in Christ? Because it's a lifelong journey. The Holy Spirit gave me the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 5. It's about a fruitful identity, isn't it? Me first doesn't work when you hear these words. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Guess against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Pray with me, would you?